Kia ora and welcome to episode 44 of the Stag Raw. This episode I catch back up with Thomas Nabs, who I interviewed in episode 2. So it's awesome to catch up with a great man. Of course Thomas is the man behind the water boy in the Waikato, which is in the middle of New Zealand there where I was living before moving to Australia. Played rugby with Thomas and we did probably everything that you shouldn't do. We talked about politics, religion and death. Uh, but of course, <laughs> that just set us up for a, a few deep topics. And that's, I guess, one of the things that we want to get across in the water boy is the art of conversation and the art of talking about things that are a little bit uncomfortable. Um, being honest, especially two guys, two rugby head guys, talking about death or even relationships come up. Um, you don't have to be defined by a characteristic, you know, two rugby players. You can be a human and you can acknowledge those feelings and those thoughts and where your being takes you. So it's quite cool to put this out here. Um, you know, you might find it uncomfortable, but that's part of the, the podcast is to make you feel a little bit awkward and maybe assess what your thoughts are on those sorts of topics, where you stand um, and what are your beliefs and where do they come from. So. No apologies for talking about those topics, but just be warned that if you're going to be listening through this podcast, that it might put you in a different place to usual. Um, I hope you enjoy it. It's hugely valuable. Thomas is a well-considered man, and I'm really excited to see what happens at TEDx Rokura where he's speaking. Excited to see what's going to happen with the, the book from The Water Boy. It's more than a game. And also the initiatives that keep coming out of the Water Boy, hugely powerful and impactful organisation, and something that's only going to become bigger and better and and greater. And I'm really excited and very privileged to have Thomas Nabs as a friend. Let's enjoy. Cheers. Kia ora, everybody. We're talking with one of our early guests, Thomas Nabs. It's pretty exciting, and we'll get to that throughout the podcast. But Thomas. Uh, what did you do on the weekend, mate? G'day, Stag. I, uh, what did I get up? So I had a, we've got a TED talk coming up. So I had practice workshop for that, our final one on Saturday. And then watched the All Blacks beat the Wallabies on Saturday night. Had a pretty chilled day Sunday. And uh, yeah, it's got a little bit of work done because I, unfortunately I had a, a funeral on Monday. So I had to just get a little bit of heat. Yeah. yeah, so that's no, a pretty good weekend. Uh, what does a chilled Sunday look like for you, man? Oh, <laughs> it, it varies. Helps help the old man around the house with a few of his stuff. Do a little bit of chores myself. Um, yeah, just I know, catch up, wash the wash the car, clean the car, clean the house, all of the above. Go for a run. Nice. Yeah. So. Uh, Leads us on. Who, who's Thomas Nabs today then? Oh, man. It's been, um, <laughs> it's been a year since I asked you that. What's changed, mate? Well, it's changed. I've, I suppose a lot's changed when I really think about it. But at, at the same time, not much has changed. So the, the strategy of what I'm trying to do hasn't really changed, but has evolved so I'm definitely just going all in on getting the water boy off the ground it's it's off the ground now I'm taking it to the next level so that's been a big change um, we are getting quite recognized within the local area within the Waikato and uh, yeah so that's, that's something special so I've just got to learn how to be a little bit more resourceful with the things that I've got to to grow it to really something special. So I've got that strategy in place and just yeah, just looking to take it to the next level. Nice. No, so you're a bigger, better version, but you're still a work in progress. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that was well put stack. Nice. So I've got two days left of being 29 and you're also 30 now. Uh, tell, tell us about the bizarre way to celebrate your 30th birthday, mate. <laughs> so... Yeah, I'd, I'd been running a little bit from sort of age 29 through 30 and I thought, well, I might as well run a marathon. So I decided about two months out that I might want to run a marathon 
and that just served a number of purposes. First, first of all, it was a bucket list thing. I always sort of thought, oh, you know, I'd better run a marathon in my lifetime. And what better way to remember your 30th than to run a marathon? Um, you always, when someone else has their 30th birthday, I'll always know what I was doing on my 30th birthday and, and that feeling and where I went. Um, it's also a good line in the sand. And running for me is a really good meditation. It's really good just like time out. I don't run with a clock. I don't run with a phone or anything like that. Although on that day I did, I put it in my back pocket more, more as a safety thing than anything really because I sort of cramped up and chat bed and <laughs> just had to, had to call for help. But um, no, normally I don't run with a phone. So it was a means of setting goals on reflecting on my 20s and um, yeah, and doing something challenging. So with all of those things, I thought, yeah, why not run a marathon? Nice. And you touched on something there, which was, I don't know if it was the morning I had where I went to the gym, uh, sat on the beach for a bit, sun was coming up, had a cold dip. But you, you said looking back on your 20s and what a bizarre thing to think about. You know, there's so much evolution that goes on from 20 to 30. Hugely. What, what did you think of yourself? <laughs> I've really changed from 20 to 30. Uh, I suppose the human brain just evolves so much in that time, right? You're so socially focused and that, that middle part of your brain is just evolving and um, it's, it's around our age that, that the neocortex starts to really kick in and starts to starts to develop and it's in your late 20s that that starts to happen I think and you can feel it you can feel yourself not wanting to go out so much and you're not socially as socially focused and you're more strategically focused and it's no wonder that you are you, you have your best career years sort of age 30 through 60 because um, there's just a different focus in life and you can feel the the same stimuli and triggers that used to make you... I never used to be able to sit home on a Friday night or a Saturday night just by myself. I'd always be itching to go out and party or something. And um, that, that was when I was 20 and, and much of my much of my well-spent years through the 20s were, were doing that. But um, these days, it's that, that urge isn't as strong. And, yeah, it's just a matter of... I know your priorities change, you know, and, and I was able to reflect on that. Nice. Yeah. And, and it's almost like you, you, your place in whether your universe is, like you say, the water boy is currently in the Waikato, Thomas mm -hmm. is currently in the Waikato, but your place in that community, your family community, the wider community, the region, the country, the world, you start to place yourself and go, what impact am I doing? And rather than, who am I impressing, don't you think? I do. I've become really spiritual. I've always been spiritual, but I've, I've become really spiritual in the last two years. And I think actually running's got a lot to do with that and also just getting out and spending time in nature. I, I don't know if it was in place when you were here, Stag, but, yeah, I'm sure it was the, the bike from Hamilton up to Narawahia done that a couple of times just by myself and there's something special about connecting with nature and like I'll be going along by myself I remember one Sunday evening everyone's at home having dinner on a Sunday right with their loved ones but I'm a woman single man so I might as well just go out and I'm on a different timetable than everyone else and <laughs> you know, I remember it just being really majestic and like I let out this big scream just by myself because it just I was it's really quite strange but I was just overwhelmed with joy as, as to how beautiful the place was and um, it's something that's really hard to describe but I think there's more there's, there's more there's something more that we don't understand yet that science has got a lot to, to prove around the connection between humans and nature and humans and the earth um, I think certain people feel it sometimes if you allow yourself to but I, yeah, I've been doing that a lot more regularly in the last couple of years. And um, I, I'm sort of religious. I'm, I'd call myself more spiritual because the religions that I, I, I believe in, in Jesus, but it's, I also 
don't I, and I call myself Christian but I don't think that like the other religions are wrong I'm not isolated to just one which I mean I think strictly speaking Jesus said that you can't do that but I'm not about to sit here and say there is only there is only um, one spiritual being out there I actually think there's a lot and uh, yeah it's something as I said I, I think science has got a lot to prove but that's really changed in my late 20s and we'll see where it goes. If you, if someone would have asked me this, I'd happily tell them, but not too many people ask me about that sort of spiritual side. I mean, if you would look at my life and behavior, not so many people would know that I'm spiritual. I don't really sort of practice much spirituality stuff. I don't do that yoga or go to church or anything like that. Just um, just run and just appreciate the small things, yeah. And you, you brought up yoga there and you, your brother's sort of going after a bit of yoga at the moment. How, is it having an influence on you? Not at all. It's, no? probably, it's probably driving me away from it more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, the, that's the push out of that, mate. What do you mean the push out of that? Well, so you say it's sort of driving you away from a yoga? Oh, no, no. Like, it's not really, honestly. Um but I've just I've never really given yoga a chance. I'm really inflexible, and I perceive you needing to be able to be a little bit flexible to do yoga. Like I, I can, I can sort of just touch my shins if I were to try and touch my toes. But um, in, and I've done one or two bits of yoga in the past, and I just feel like a dick. <laughs> I just get laughed at, and I just rather just just not, you know. Like and, and I suppose there's the whole. Um, you can only get better at it by doing it. But I don't know, I'll leave Lucent to do his thing and the yoga people to do their thing. And at the moment, I don't perceive myself as needing it. I have a quite fulfilled, happy life. <laughs> and, and I suppose it could always get better. But, um, yeah, I'll, if it ain't broke, don't fix it for me at the moment. I'm just tracking on with uh, the things that I, I like doing. So, Nice. So you said there that you're working on a different time frame to most people, and and we see Thomas Nabs working mm. in the middle of the night, or like you said, doing stuff on a Sunday. What what does the word balance look like for you right now? I just listen to my body, mate. Um, I was sleeping this morning. Like I, I didn't get up until nine o'clock, and that was because yesterday I was really exhausted. And um, and like I needed to get some work done, and I see. Oh, yeah, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but even now and then I pump an energy drink or two down just to keep me going. I know it's shockingly bad for me, um, but then I just oh, I, I needed to sleep in this morning, so I did that. But on the flip side, yeah, you've got to work, you've got to work some big out. Like I'll be having to do big hours tonight because. I started work late today, didn't I? Um, and but yeah, the balance is just about. I think just listening to your body. I probably don't have uh, as much balance in my work to personal life as that I that I need to be happy in the long run. But I'm um, I'm happy at the moment. So I can I can actually feel myself needing to change my balance of work. To personal shortly within the next six months actually I can feel that coming I'm feeling I'm feeling as though I probably want a, a, um, a life partner soon it's not like a not desperate or anything like that um, and I, I love being single I love the flexibility that being single has um, but I know that at some stage I'll want to like yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm open to meeting someone, um, but being single is so amazing that that someone would have to be pretty special to trump being single. Um, and at the at the moment, because of I'm pretty much married to the water boy, I, I put a lot of I put a lot of doors up or walls up to the opportunity to meet someone. I don't I don't want to. Because it would detract from the water boy, but I think in the next six months those walls may come down. I may start um, having more of a life balance so as to be able to 
have a more sustainable um, personal life as well. Because I think if that doesn't happen sort of in the next two years, I may actually not be as happy as I am now. So just, and that's that's a really um, strange concept to, because I haven't felt it yet. I'm just sort of reading a little bit into the future. So, uh, yeah, I'll see what happens. See, what, see how I turn my, uh, turn that focus. And in actual fact, I haven't actually ever thought about it like that, but I've spoken with my board at the Waterboy about the need for the CEO's position to be financially stable and sustainable within 18 months. So, because at the moment it's like, I'm probably the only one with the passion to live off what I live off overall. Um, yeah, and, and that passion will be trumped in, in 18 months, I think, if, I, if it doesn't change. So where, where do you find the time to sort of get their perspective on, on your life? When I'm running. Yeah. Love it. I've only, I've only actually started, um, started running in the last oh, 12 to 18 months. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I go for a run like anyone else growing up all the time. Just, you know, three, anywhere between 3 and 10K. If you could do 10K, I was feeling pretty fit. But I can go out now and I could probably run 30K quite comfortably at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's 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 when I'm running that I, it takes me to a a different level of thinking. It's I, th- I think it's like what meditation is to a lot of people because there's nothing around. I think your brain goes into a diff- different sort of. I don't I don't know. I've never done the scientific research on it, but you can just feel it going into a different thought pattern and um into a different state and. Um, when you're outside connecting with nature as well, it, it, it helps that. So, yeah, it's the running and the, the cycling, just exercise, I think. And also, actually, when I'm when I'm listening to a good audio book, um, yeah, good audio books always get me thinking about different things as well. I come up with some of my best ideas when I'm listening to Daniel Priestley. And so what do you do? Do you, do you pause or...? And write stuff down, or, or just think think while you're nah. on the job. Yeah. Nah, no, I just get really passionate about it. So it's not like I even have to write it down anyway. It's like I can't sleep. I'm not like I had a I had an idea the other day when I was driving down the funeral, leaving, uh, listening to Daniel Priestley. Like I was like, right, I've got to start networking group with the sponsors that um, with the sponsors that sponsor the Waterboy. I think it would add a lot of value in different different uh, parts and I just got so pumped about it that it's been like it's been on the forefront of my mind the whole time so I don't need to write it down when I get really passionate about it <laughs> it's never it's never go it probably blocks all the all my other thought processes so yeah yeah um you mentioned that you you went to to a, a funeral the other day and, and being in tune with your body how much effect do you think that had on had on yourself and and what does it do to your energy and, and your thought thought processes? It's a big thing. It is, eh? Um, because I think about that stuff probably more than most, it didn't actually have that bigger effect on me. I sort of acknowledge the hurt and pain that others are going to be in and, uh, and people start questioning, like, you know, the whole meaning of life and stuff like that. But because I do that quite frequently... Um, it didn't have as big an effect because like I thought about that like last week. <laughs> so yeah, um, good question, but I don't have a good answer for that. I'm sorry. No, that's that's all right, mate. Uh, it, it's it's a tough tough thing to thing to think about, and I know from yeah. my own, my own perspective, I've only really experienced it once in my life, and I don't know if how I dealt with it was correct or not, but <laughs> I, was, I was of a very similar idea that it was... Well, talk to me about your experience then. Um, well, as a lot of people know that the reason why I'm quite passionate about diabetes and type 2 diabetes is because that's what killed, killed my grandfather, but 
it was it was almost sort of like I got this text message from my dad in a missed call, and I was like, I, I knew what the case was, and then went down there to Dunedin. I was in Auckland, and I was able to speak at his funeral and remember him greatly. And yeah, didn't didn't really cry so much, but was was sad. And it's still you know times in your life where you think how it would have been good to share that with him, but at the same time he was there for. We know we're really lucky. He was just up the road to Ned and Chicago was easy and spent a lot of time with him and he was supportive and yeah, it was it's a, a weird thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I I wasn't um I wasn't close with this person. In fact I've ne- I'd never actually met her. That she was it was a friend's mother, so I went to support my friend. Um yeah, so I didn't probably go to that same emotional level as as if it was um, someone who was close to me, but you still feel that hurt for for your friends, right? And um, and I suppose in in some respects, yeah. I actually you start sitting there thinking, well, this is gonna not only happen to me one day, but it'll happen to my I'll be in I'll be in, um, the, my friend was Kate. I'll be in Kate's position one day, laying my parents to to rest, and what's that going to look like, and how am I going to feel, and how sort of prepared for you am I for that leading up to it, and what's going to be the afterflow, and I was thinking, you know, what's going to be the impacts for Kate here as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's an essential part of life. I think death's actually something to be celebrated as well, because this world wouldn't be as beautiful as it is without death. So. Um, it's it's hard and it's hurtful at the time, but it's also awesome too. Yeah, mate. And you, you've got some Māori heritage, and I don't know how many full-on tangis you've been to, but that's a both mourning, full and celebratory experience to be a, to be a part of. Does does, yeah. does that resonate much with you? Yeah, I, I've been to a few tangis. Um, one of the one of my big regrets was I. I actually missed my grandmother's tangi, which was pretty good. I was over in England, um, and I wasn't able to get back for it. I had said my goodbyes to her, knowing that if she, she had Alzheimer's and dementia and whatnot. And um, the last time I saw her, I knew that I may not be able to get back and, and said my goodbyes to her. Um, but it was still really, really painful to not be able to be there for her. And for the for the rest of the family and the dad who was putting his mother to rest, but um, the process that the Maori go through, uh, I think it's it's more of a comforting and soothing process. They often grieve with the body, which is quite foreign, especially to your Australian listeners. I understand they'll be like WTF to that, <laughs> but it is actually something that's really really beautiful and it freaks you out at first uh, but but then you get so used to it and then you sing songs and, um, and hold hands with the with the, your loved one in your living room or in the whanui wherever it may be or in the whanui is the central part of the, the marae and Māori culture um, and then and just tell stories about old times and, and be there with the, with the family and yeah, it's a, that's a that's a something that Maori culture do very well. I I think. No, absolutely. Um, move, moving on from Somber Night. Yeah, uh, yeah, reckon it's been uh, like. It. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and it might still be a Somber Night. Last last year we were talking. It was just before the election, and I know with the work that the Water Waterboy does, you, you sort of see frontline impacts of what a sort of a Labour government promises. Have you have you noticed anything that's helped and and has helped your cause as a water boy? As the water boy, sorry. Uh, nah. I I don't agree with Labour's policy, mate. Like I think their heart's in the right place, but they don't have the balls to actually make significant change. You'll know that I'm a an opportunities party supporter and the Opportunities Party is, um, they don't have the, I think, the, the public relations on lockdown. They, they are a bit, 
but up front and they tell it how it is to a lot of people. They've actually just changed their leader, which which may help. But as yeah, I was going to get to, it's good to see that they they haven't crashed out and they're looking to be back, which will be yeah, exactly yeah. yeah. But um, as far as personality goes, um, Labour have got that in abundance with Jacinda, and in an actual fact, I think you sort of need that a little bit, and I think we see that personality trumps policy because I think that if Labour if Labour were to sorry if Labour were to really want to make an impact they would adopt a lot of tox policies but they don't want to scare their voters um, and they don't want to rustle the feathers too much so yeah, oh, look, I think tops more Labour than Labour, and it's actually more national than national. I think it would really get the economy going, and it would um, also decrease wealth disparity. Oh, but it's actually that decreasing wealth disparity is why they will never get in, because the rich people are unfortunately also educated. That's why they're rich, because they know how to work the system, and they're not going to vote. They're not going to vote for that on on a capital gain and on a on a wealth tax. That's that's sitting there thinking, oh man, I'll, I can see myself having to pay tax on the eighty thousand dollars that my house made last year. Um, that's that's more than more than most people earn in, in their in their job. Why am I going to vote for this? Um, and the uneducated labour voters. Don't even understand how the wealth tax would uh, would how it would affect them. So it's unfortunate. I think if they could get a little bit more educated and also a top were to be a bit more personable and a bit more relatable, which they maybe now with their new leader, it would go a long, long way. But yeah, oh, I just see. The current system, I just see Labour putting more ambulances at the bottom of the cliff than uh, the National would have had, and that's all that they're doing. They're not, they're not going to make any any huge change. Some of their policies are just ridiculous, like giving giving first year first year university tuition fees for free. That's absolute BS. If you can it. If you're going to do anything as ridiculous as that, do it in the last year to encourage people to go. But what about also all of the, the trades that, that's implying that people are more, that it's more valuable to have people at university? Well, I can tell you that a lot of people come out of university and struggle to get jobs. Um, and a lot more people will come out of a trade fully qualified and walk straight into a job. What, do you, what job do you walk into if you get a, the degree that I got, BMS, a management studies degree, it's it's you're not very employable at all. Neither are you with a what else is it like <laughs> in the sport and leisure? It's just yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. But um, I sort of like their one of their latest policies that they've brought out. I think they call it work to money or something like or dole to money. Anyway, they're getting um, they are getting people who have been on the dole for six months and they're less than 24, they will pay that doll, oh, sorry, for more than six months, did I say less than six months? If, if there's a pre-24-year-old who has been on the doll for more than six months, they will pay the doll for the entire course of their apprenticeship if someone were to take them on. So the, that means the employer only has to top up to the, the wage that they want to pay them. Which is quite cool. I actually applaud that. But why wait? What? Why do it only for people on the dole for six months? That's, I think, rewarding mediocrity or actually encouraging. And I think a lot of people are going to work the system, and and, and they'll get people who they they want. They'll encourage them to go on the dole for six months while they pay them cash, and then just work the system. So. Um, I would implore Labour to do that for everyone. Um, I think it's it's hard enough as it is for tradespeople to take on apprentices, even if they haven't been on the dole for six months or whatnot. It's um, 
it actually costs a business to have an apprentice for the first two two years because they don't create more value than, than they get paid. So, yeah, I think it's somewhere where we could <coughs> tighten the ship up a little bit. But, yeah, there's no... That, if that's just another example of an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, though. It's not dramatic change in our tax system, and it, we've got to decrease this wealth disparity gap by the way that we tax. And as long as we don't have any capital gain tax or any any wealth tax, then um, we're going to be we're going to be um, taxing the the worker far too much, and wages haven't gone up in, in donkey's years. So. If we want wages to go up, decrease the income tax because we shouldn't have to be paying for paying income tax whilst there is uh, no tax on all the house pricing down. Up. It's just it's just crazy. But yeah, enough politics. Very no, nice. <laughs> it's been a very very morbid uh, <laughs> chat, mate. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned you mentioned edu- education there, and I think one of the things you're doing with the Waterboy is empowering people to to embrace education and embrace experience yeah. um, how, how do you think that a social impact model can sort of come up, come under and build up the society yeah so one of the things that I'm really trying to encourage now now we're on a, a more positive note here we go so one of the things that I'm really trying to encourage is businesses to pick up our youth who need the support or pick up whatever case needs the support, and for there to be value in doing in businesses for that. So, as opposed to making a donation and all their money going into a black hole, and or the owner feeling good about it, I want real business value for those who contribute. Now, what ways can we go about doing that? With you, you see, with the Waterboy, we make videos of the work that we do, but we let businesses own the work, so we bring need cases on a silver platter that have already been filtered that we think are going to be really good. Um, and then they get to take all the credit for the work that we do. The networking meeting that I am setting up for the sponsors, which we talked about earlier, that's another um, example of rewarding good business and actually making business sense for them because all of a sudden now we're going to have like a waterboy club um, of which everyone has got the same values and they've actually all paid a pretty significant portion to be a part of. And then we can come and it'll, it'll give a more frequent touch point for them to be able to talk to me um, and to be involved with, with me. Um, we'll also get some of our recipients and tell some of the cool stories. We'll get them one or two of them along every meeting um, and we'll get a really cool guest speaker. We've got some really fantastic uh, people who like to support our cause and say, look, if, if there's any way I can ever help. And, um, and these caliber of people are people who, who business owners would be really interested in listening to, some world champions and all blacks and um, just really, really interesting speakers. So I think, I think that's a, a resource that... Um, the Waterboy has in abundance is a lot of goodwill from a lot of really influential people, and we just need to bring that together and be, be more resourceful. As, as uh, Mr. Priestley, one of my people that I've been listening to lately, as um, he would put it. So, um, to get back to the question, I think it was something about how can we how can we empower education. I want it to be a two way two way benefit, and what we're really trying to do is help our commercial world pick up or lift up um, those less, less fortunate and for there to be benefit in them for that. So that's that's what the Waterboy strives to do. And I think that's what a lot of social enterprise, well, that is what social enterprise is, isn't it? So, yeah. Nice. So, what, was, what, was the, what was the feedback on the work experience, man? Oh, awesome awesome like these the, the kids love it the employers love it the so just for some of the listeners who don't fully understand what the water boy does we identify kids who want to do sport but can't and then we uh we match them up with sponsors who also value the role that sport plays in 
creating better people and empowering our youth. And then they sponsor them to participate in sport. Now, we've actually taken that a step further. And whilst you need to not be able to do sport to get onto a our program, once you do get onto our program, we've now started an additional part of that called Taku Wairua, and that means my spirit or my soul and my being. And we get a book and we ask them all of these all sorts of different questions um, and we find out what's important to them, where they belong and, and their whakapapa and that. We, we create a sense of belonging, we create what's important to them and where they want, to, what's important to them now and where they want to get to in the future and therefore we end up with a whole set of goals and um, we can then align those goals with actions and one of those goals in, in actions can be work experience so if they're wanting to know, be a builder or be a plumber or, or whatever we can say well let's tee you up with one of our sponsors then and um, yeah and that, that serves a number of purposes that Takawairua program it, it, by writing goals down it gives the firstly it gives the recipient clarity then anyone's 50% more likely to achieve the goals if they write them down. It gives them accountability because they have to, they show those goals to their sponsor and to their mentor that we tee them up with. Um, and yeah, that, I think that direction, I come back to that, that direction through the teenage years is, is pretty crucial. Um, but it takes, and another element to the takawaito is it takes a while for recipients to actually open up to their mentor. You don't just say, hey, Hey, how's it going, mate? And then, like, I'm like, we've done today where I just went on some sort of spiel about how spiritual I am and about politics and whatnot. But, um, <laughs> but that you won't get that out of a 14 year old kid straight away, right? So, what we actually do and what I think is really important is um, we talk to them about their belonging and we, we go through their mihi with them, watching Maori cultures. Like, where am I from? Like, what mountain? Do, what's my mountain? What's my river? Um, what's my my moana or my ocean, and and yeah, where am I from? And we get them to do that, and then we get them to go back through their family tree or their whakapapa. Now that that doesn't matter if they're Maori or not, because oh, I think that's so important that place of belonging and a place to call home. Um, and that is just so it's, it's so important to the soul, and it's sort of what I've talked about just before. There's there's an interlink in a relationship there with what I was talking about with how. I think there's a spiritual connection with the land. And whilst the I don't expect these 13, 14-year-olds to um, acknowledge that or recognise that in themselves at that age, I think as time goes on, they will probably do so more. And it's just so important for them to know that there's a place called home. And, and I remember that I've, tra- I've lived overseas and there's no place, there's something about coming home and like, going back out into the countryside because I grew up out in the countryside and I love the, it sounds strange, but I love the smell of silage and I love the, the smell, even like cow shit from a distance. Don't want to get too close to it, but that, that <laughs> smell, that smell of, um, of a paddock where cows have been in, you know, and it just reminds me of um, growing up in, in, in a sense of belonging. So by having, by having the mihi part, within the first session of um, of the mentor talking with the, the recipient or the, or the young person, um, we can create a sense of trust. Um, we get that sense of belonging without going diving deep into what's important to me and what barriers are in place because we, we have all sorts of barriers that come up. We have like dad's, dad's bashing the family and I'm cutting myself and... Um, all sorts of problems that um, that are associated with with being a youth today. It's already a lot different from when we were growing up. It's social media and, and technology, it's got a lot to answer for. They say that they're trying to make the world more connected, but only in small doses. Like that, something like this is, is good. I mean, we can connect, and you're over in Australia, I'm in New Zealand. Um, but when when we're on it all day and we're not actually connecting with those people in our house and, and, um, and those who are important to us and close to us in our lives, then it actually distances us because we, we don't know how to have like face-to-face conversations or the youth don't uh, without saying, well, maybe let's meet up or 
without doing a pretext or something. Um, yeah. And in actual fact, that that's that's why I am quite passionate about sport. I think sport encourages more person-to-person communication and um, it breaks down social barriers to have more respect for different people from different social sectors and um, it encourages encourages learnt emotional intelligence and all sorts of different things and, and just that connection. Um, I, am I able to read you the first? It's just sparked a... Sparked you're, just you're a great, great segue, mate, because I was yeah, going yeah. to ask you about mentors and, and all this sort of stuff. More than a game, mate, go for it. <laughs> sure. So uh, More Than a Game is a book that I've just finished and it's, um, it's highlighting some of the initiatives that we've done, why they, why these people weren't able to participate in sport and how they helped has impacted their lives. But it also compares some of our more, more known New Zealand sporting personalities who have had the opportunity to participate in sport and how sports affected, shaped their culture, sorry, their community and their character. But what I was just talking about with that connected part, um, with, and, and it's a segue into the first page of our book, and I'll try and read it quite quickly because you don't want to sit there listening to it all, but it says, a gentle warning. We hope that while you're reading, you will be interrupted. I'm glad you've picked this book up. Maybe you chose it. Maybe it chose you. Maybe someone else thought it was the kind of book that you would like or you should read. Or maybe it was the only book on the table while you waited awkwardly for a meeting. For whatever reason, we're happy you're here with us. Before you get too much further through, we have a little cautionary message to impart. This book may cause some disruption to your life. At some point, if you are out and about where someone might spot you with this in hand, hopefully you'll be interrupted. It might sound strange or counterintuitive that we'd be happy you get disrupted or disturbed during your time with more than a game. But let me explain. If someone has read this book before you and sees you reading it too, I give them permission to interrupt your reading experience and introduce themselves. Here's why. It is my intention that more than a game is not just a book, but a symbol. A symbol of a common moral belief that every key we should have a chance in life. A symbol of kindness. A symbol of giving. A symbol of hope and community. The water boy wants to be a platform for connection. To serve not only as a permanent reminder of the impact that connection can have on lives, but also as a vehicle to help make that connection happen. If you, like me, want to live in a future New Zealand where those values thrive in abundance, please read on. Never before has our society been so disconnected. We are losing the skill of interfacing, face, interacting face-to-face. By reading this book, you are sending a non-verbal message to those who have read it before you that you also long for in New Zealand to be built on these values and that you are okay with a friendly interruption from a complete stranger. If you are not okay with that, please put the book back down where you found it. If you're still here with us and you read on, I challenge you to please step out of your comfort zone and interrupt the next person you see reading this in a public place. You now have a common bond. You share common values and hope for the future of our country. And having read some of the stories in this book, you have a common empathy for the hurdles many New Zealanders have overcome. If someone does interrupt you whilst you're reading this book, please make every effort to be accepting of their desire to want to connect with you. They may be taking a huge leap out of their comfort zone. Your reaction to them, be it positive or negative, may shape their confidence in social interactions for years to come. You don't have to become best friends with them, although that would be awesome. A simple introduction and conversation about the values of this book, about the values this book is seeking to recognise and promote will be enough to continue building and strengthening our community. One thought, one conversation, one action at a time. In that sense, I hope this book also proves to be an interruption in your life in bigger ways than just a potential conversation with a stranger as you read. I hope that it makes you think about other ways you can connect and change, or other changes you can make in your life that might help change someone else's life. I hope we don't just become a brief moment of your time, but more an inspiration for all of your time and a reminder that the values of kindness, generosity, community and connections are ones that we can choose every single moment of our lives. So yeah, that's the first page. I did get a bit carried away and read all of it, but um, that just, I suppose, 
sets the sets a few values of what the book's about and what we're trying to achieve. Powerful, mate, and especially some of the videos are very powerful, and I've shared a few of them with with the honest caption that they've, they've brought me to tears because, like you say, it, it, it can be quite confronting to mm-hmm. know this is you know your backyard and this is your peers. And I was, you know, it's funny how the world works. I was listening to Dave Galbraith, who I don't know how familiar you are with Dave, but he's been a um, sports psychologist for the, for the likes of the Chiefs and New Zealand Sevens and golf. Yeah, I've heard great things about him. I've never actually met the bloke, but I've, I've heard very, very positive things. Yeah, and, and he was asked in this podcast, you know, if he had $100, what would he do? And he said, I'd go out to the street and buy five people dinner who yeah. are on the street, and I'd sit and talk to them. Yeah. And he said, the, the stories that they could tell and, and the humility that you'll feel and, and humbleness that you'll feel from, from interacting in that way is, you know, it's not just a great lesson for you, but you've actually touched and made an impact in, in somebody's life. And, you know, you give us a little bit of a snapshot with that, with the work you're doing. Um, what's it, what's sort of been your feedback from the sponsors and, and how much of an impact does it make for them and for the people that work for them? Yeah, they love it. They love it. Um, it's something really special for them that, a point of difference with us is that they get to meet the people that they support. And that's, that's something that we've got to capture no matter how much we scale up. That's a real essence of the water boy. And um, we, had a, we had a sponsor visit yesterday, actually. <laughs> and just the, it's, it's so good for both parties. It's so good to have these initiative recipients that would never, ever um, get to walk into corporate offices or anything and and then for them to be interacting and, and seeing a different side of the world even that's only 2k up the road um and and vice versa the the um the corporates just just getting to see and interact hand, firsthand with some of the people that they only read about in the news and mm. it's just, it's really special to be a part of and, and there's a growing appreciation. Um, and that's a game what sport does. It breaks down the social barriers to bring us close together to people from different social sectors. And um, whilst they're not participating in sport, this model's encouraging that and, and enabling that to happen. And it's a really special part about what we do. And I love that part about what we do. No, absolutely. And <clears throat> part of my job, and I know, you know, you can you can be as capitalist and, and work hard and results will pay off sort of thing as, as you like. But when you see people that come into to my practice through funding or through government initiative um, or through um, uh, trust initiatives and you get the time, you know, I'm lucky I get to spend 45 minutes with a child who's been told that they're misbehaving, that, they, that they're bad, that they don't concentrate, that they've been labelled often with ADHD or or autism or something and you sit down with them for 45 minutes you find out what they're passionate about you you figure out that actually you know they've, they've got a drive and a, and a they are human and and yeah. quite often or not they've got a little little problem that you can help them with and the beauty of, of you know not just helping them achieve something but getting them to be able to read and be able to learn and find out stuff and, and achieve something is huge and that's what you see every time with these you know being in sport is that you get to find out that you're not useless and that people value you. Yeah, yeah, hard out, man. And you, you just nailed it, I reckon. You described young people as passionate. And Lehigh Duncan, the general manager of Zeal here in Hamilton, always describes young people as passionate. And he couldn't, um, I won't give too much of it away, but he actually mentions that in his, um, in his TED Talk. We're speaking at, at TEDx Rapuda, um and he, and he said, he gives the example, like, you, you have 13 or 14-year-olds, they'll fall in love and they're so passionate after, like, after two days of meeting someone, you know, or they'll be on a game, a video game, and they're passionately playing it and um, they'll, yeah, or whatever people do from a young age, whether you perceive it to be good or bad, they're really passionate about it. And, um, and we just need to enhance that and and work to their strengths and work to their passions and 
that's a game like what Tapu Wairua is about. It's about discovering what's important to them, what they really love, and and um, getting them that success and, and enabling them to tap into that passion because if they love it and they're good at it and, and success can be success and it flows on to other areas of their lives because they're able to establish a good amount of self-esteem and self-confidence from being good at something and, and from feeling as though they have something to positive to contribute to the world. And um, yeah, whether, whether that be in sport, which, which is what I'm passionate about, um, if, if it's in sport, fantastic. If it's not in sport, then I still think that sport participation is key just for the mental, physical health benefits of the kids. But we can help them tap into what is what they are passionate about, and then um, and work with our other organisations. So, in our like Takawata was saying, do you want to do any of these activities? And we list activities down that we can connect other organisations that they specialise in and we can connect them to there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about about that. And I'm, I'm really, oh, I've just thrashed the word passion, but I'm really passionate about developing people and, um, and, and helping people. As I, said, I think everyone is, aren't they? They've just got different ways of skinning the cat. Yeah. No, yeah, and you say that word passion and ever since talking with Yusefa uh, Tuiaso when he said that, you know, he had a coach ask him, what are you passionate about? You know, he's like, oh, well, water polo? He goes, no, 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 what are you, what are you passionate about? Um, that stuck with me, man, and, and every young person that comes to, to sit in, you know, a consulting chair, yeah. um, it's what I ask them, and, they, and they're, they're flustered and they're flabbergasted, and you might have to explain what passion means, but they get it. And yeah. And they'll tell you about weird and wonderful things, and it's totally, totally awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. yeah. Mate, you said or What's that? What's that? What are the feelings getting into that? You've been practicing. You've been getting mentorship. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, uh, I am. Um, I've been really impressed by the Tiritirokura um, setup. Hey, they're sharp, man. They give you really good coaching. Um, give you. Like the, the coaching and the mentoring that they give you is just fantastic. And probably if you put a monetary value on it, I would say that it's oh, all in all, we've probably had about $20,000 worth of coaching each. And it's just been amazing the stuff that we've learned there. Um, in terms of, am I nervous? Nah. Like, I've got my speech on lockdown, like I've done the mahi. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I have, mate. It's like, I'm so bored of it, eh? They, they said at the start, like, you have to know, you have to happy birthday night. And I can tell that's, that's a, a spew in my mouth, Silicon Valley throwaway saying, but I get what the origins of it. You have to know the speech as well as you know the happy birthday song. And um, and I do. It's just like I can just regurgitate it without, I could regurgitate it whilst, you know, doing something else. And um, so I'll just get up there and I'll just say it. But I'm, I'm quite, I'm, I'm satisfied with the, the, with my speech and where it's at, um, I hope I don't sound arrogant, man. Imagine if I get up there and stuff it up, that's going to be quite funny, isn't it? Um, but but um, now, what's what's been the best part about that is not only the coaching, but being able to connect with all the other speakers, and there are some awesome people, man. Just um, it's just been really cool. I've I've got an office here in town, where, which you know, and it's got a few empty, uh, empty spaces and so I always invite everyone up and we go and go through one of the other empty spaces and we just say our speeches and that's having that pretty much like oh, about four or five of them have taken me up on that offer and we always just go and practice to each other. I find it a lot easier practicing to someone else than just myself but um, a, a byproduct of that is I've got to know some of the speakers really well and they've become friends and um yeah, it's just some really interesting people, and like um, I speak in a. We went for I went for lunch with one of them, um, guy Howard Willis, who's he's the inventor of the Manta Five bike, yep. uh, and and we just started speaking about like got hooked into straight into some things that we had in common um, because he he thought of his bike whilst out biking, right? He's passionate about that, and um, it takes him to a different. A different level of thinking that we sort of touched on whilst on running, and then we started exploring the whole spiritual side of things. And I think when you have like 
deeper than surface level conversations like that with someone you make a, a quite solid connection with with people and I, I really like I really like Guy how he's able to open out to me about um, and we talked a lot about this spiritual life it turns out he's he's quite religious um, and I shared my and I felt open and comfortable to share my views um, with someone who's Christian, but saying, yeah, look, I believe in Jesus, but I'm also not going to sit there and say that Muhammad and Buddha and all of those people don't exist. Um, and, and so that was a, that was an interesting conversation. Um, yeah. And, and also Michelle, um, we, I perceive this as being quite different than Michelle Howie. I perceive this as being quite different when we first started TEDx, but as we've got to know each other and as we've spent more time with each other, I really enjoy your company now. And, and it's, um, I shouldn't be surprised. She'll probably, she'll probably slap me if, I, if she found out I was surprised, but I, I, I am surprised and, and pleasantly surprised that we really get on. And um, yeah, I, I, I think she's awesome. And that goes for a lot of the speakers. I've done them. When I'm speaking with quite a few of them, and yeah, get on with um, all of them really well. So that's been the best part about the TEDx experience, and, and getting to know the speaking coaches. So I, can you tell I'm a people person? I just like, love meeting new people and um, caring about their journeys and how they're how they're finding themselves. Nice. No, um, I suppose one of the benefits of of where you are is you can talk to the whole of Hamilton without them hearing you. Uh, what do you mean? Out the, out the window, mate. You can you can see the whole of the city. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if you you notice, but like a lot of the time, I'm not looking at the computer screen because I'm just like watching the traffic go by. There's been as we've done this podcast, there's been like three or four near crashes. And like, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Have, yeah. have you had a go on the Med Five yet, mate? No, I haven't. Um, I suggested the guy that we should have. I should do a product demo in one of the breaks at TEDx Rookery out on the pond. Yeah, and and it was a it was all go for a little bit, but then apparently the pond's too shallow. So oh. no, I haven't. I have to get in touch with Greg and um, they had the they had the opportunity where you could go and ride it at Tarapa Pools for a while, didn't they? And yeah. um, I, I suppose I just didn't place as much importance of it on it to actually go and have a go. Some part of me kicks myself for not, but you know, look, it's, I'm sure, yeah, it, I'm, I'm sure I'll do it one day, and even if I don't do it one day, then it's not the end of the world. But it would be, it would be something that's quite cool to, to go and have a go on. So yeah, I'll, I'll make an effort someday soon. Now you definitely want the e-bike version. Um, the manual version gets here quite wet. <laughs> <laughs> is there an e? Oh, is there an e-bike version of it now? Well, that's that's the main the main prototype is that it's got a a, a unit attract to it to help help the wheel the wheel go around but yeah oh, pure, cool. pure, pure manpower takes a bit of balance and a bit of bit of um coordination, yeah. coordination well, they're, doing, they're doing a racing style soon aren't they oh. so I, yeah that won't have a uh an e component i wouldn't have thought have you have you interviewed greg on this podcast yet not yet no it's um, yeah no it's, it's, it's an ex- exciting prospect um, and I'm looking forward to it coming coming yeah. out fully mate yeah. um, we, we went over it last time but where do people find you in the water boy I, I see Thomas Nabs has also got a bit of branding behind him now <laughs> does he well yeah 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 sort of it's Facebook's got you know a nice little name written up in, in black and white does it yeah oh, does he no, I do, I, that's that's not on purpose. I've I've made myself an Instagram account because, um, I've, but I've made it private just to like connect with some friends and, and share some things that may not be entirely appropriate for the Waterboy page. Um, right. But look, to answer your question, the Waterboy underscore NZ on Insta. Pretty sure that's it. Or it might just be the Waterboy. NZ. If you look for the Waterboy NZ, it's going to come up. It was on Facebook. I just make sure I get the proper handles on that. Obviously, break this open. I should know this by heart. The waterboy.org.nz for um, for the World Wide Web, and uh, let's go to Insta here. 
Yep, the underscore waterboy underscore NZ Barista. And face is going to be something very similar. So, yeah, get on, give us a like. Um, look out for or sign up to the newsletter. That's going to be the best way to. Um, to really keep a good handle on it. And I send out like monthly updates. So um, jump onto the website and put your name in the subscriber thing for that. Yeah, give us a give us a bell and we can go for a coffee. I'm also like, when you're just talking about Galbraith's want and desire to go and have dinner with five homeless people, I'll be banging up to that. So we should um, we should put us in touch and say, if you ever want to do that, mate, Nabs will come out with you to do that. Yeah, no, that'd, that'd be awesome. Mate, if... if if people don't have a business, what can they do to support the water boy? Well, um, you know how I was just talking about Tucker Wairua before? Yep. And um, I'm looking for mentors to, because I can't, I can't be the mentor for all of our people, right? So I've got, I've got this Tucker Wairua book and we've got these guidelines for mentors. You can jump on and mentor someone. It, in terms of time commitment, it'll be sort of two hours a week for the first three or four weeks, and then it'll go to about two hours a week per fortnight, and then you should be down to about two hours a week per three weeks, sorry, two hours every three weeks after about two or three months. So it's not a huge, massive time commitment. It will be hugely rewarding. Um, alternatively, you know, purchase our book, um, spread the word there, and you can get that at the Waterboy NZ. You can get that at Paper Plus in Cambridge, and I think Poppy's Bookstore in the, at the University of Waikato. Um, and yeah, it's it's two of the main two of the main uh, methods that you can support the Waterboys. Get the book. It's a it's pay what you want price. So just just to know if you get it off the uh, off the website, there's a hundred dollars, but. Not too many people know this, or it's going to be a surprise when it rocks up, but you will have a signed copy from Israel Dag and um, Tim Southey, Casey Cooper, and Lucy Spores if you purchase off the, off the website for $100. But the, the pay what you want ones um, come without the signed copy, and it's a pay what you want donation. Beautiful, mate. So to leave us, mate, what's an ask of everybody um, or something that you'd like to know from people or a thought? Um, here's something. I, I was actually thinking about this the other day, and the last time I spoke to someone about it was on the podcast with you, and you asked me, I think this is over a year ago, you asked me something along the lines of what would you like our politicians and our leaders to do better? And it was to get closer to the impact of the decisions that they make. And I used the example that uh, our mayor in Hamilton here said that we don't need to replace plastic bags. Well, I'd like him to go out to Raglan and do some cleanup of all the plastic bags before he makes that decision. And before you lay people off, please go and meet the family and the kids of the people you're about to lay off and, and see if there's any alternatives around this. And if you are, if, if you're going to put the rates up 16% like they have, please go and meet beneficiaries and see how that's going to impact their rent and, and what that's going to do on their lives, as opposed to just not knowing about these different parts of society. I want people to get closer to the impact of the decisions that they make. And that would be my thought. And that's, that's across all areas of life, not just in business and not just in politics, but don't just, don't just have ignorant bliss um, and without without knowing the true impact of your decision. So, yeah, whether that be environmental or anything else. Beautiful. That would be my, my thought. Yeah. Thanks, thanks so much, mate. And yeah. awesome to chat. No. And we, we, we went deep there, so, you know, probably a change of pace for a lot of people, but... I <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. It's good to go into those uncomfortable places so far uh, every now and again. And, and like you say, with the likes of reading the Waterboy book, it's, it might take you to an uncomfortable place, and but it really helps you to assess where you're at and what you're doing and, what, like you say, what the, the decisions you make, how they impact different people. It's, it's good. Absolutely. 
Cheers, bro. Appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, let's look forward to the 30s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. When are you 30, just quickly? On Friday. Two days. Two days. Oh, away. mate. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet, bro. Right. We'll, we'll leave it there. Cheers. What an episode. As I said, we went to a couple of uncomfortable places. And what a finish, though. Thinking about the impact of the decisions you make. It's something I always challenge myself with, especially when it comes up with a patient that's sitting in my chair that they're diabetic. Do I sit there on my hands? Do I bite my tongue and go along with the status quo? Do I look at the medications and see that they're probably on the wrong medication, probably living the long, wrong way of life, probably eating the wrong foods, drinking too much, probably smoking? That's another one. When I smell smoke on a patient, do I sit there and go, oh, they won't change? Or, or do I challenge them? Do I ask that hard question of why do you smoke? Do I ask them what do you eat? Um, same with macular degeneration. This is what stops macular degeneration. This is what you need to do. Um, more often than not, I get people's tails up and they quickly tell me that they eat healthy. Um, thankfully, I have a follow-up to that and that's what's healthy mean to you because there's so much information out there around what is healthy and it's conflicting and unfortunately it's based on epidemiological observations by different people who have different agendas and often are influenced by big business and you know maybe we're not getting the right information out there so it's what I believe in it's what I think might be right and based on the evidence that I've seen I hope that it might be able to help people so it's what makes sense to me and, and again it means that I think about the impact of the decision that I make. Do I sit on my hands and let these people continue to be sick or do I live up to my role as a primary care provider and challenge the person that's in my chair and hopefully make an impact on their lives for the positive and improve their quality of life. It's the same reason why I'm so passionate about exogenous ketones. I've talked about it many times, especially in the case of traumatic brain injury. Um, in terms of energy, in terms of focus, in terms of creating and setting yourself up for that way of life where you no longer require sugar and, and excessive carbohydrates, where you can live a day that's not you know, full of cravings, full of lulls, full of periods of low energy. Um, or if you're an athlete like me and like playing rugby, you can have a clear and decisive game and, and hope that you're protecting yourself from any head injury that unfortunately might occur. Um, you can get your hands on exogenous ketones at waiketzero.proveitnow.com and of course check out our Facebook page waiketo on Facebook. We put lots of those articles, lots of the research up, um, the podcasts, photos of what I'm doing from my Instagram at Stagvision. Um, and yeah, it's a good place to get a hub and get an understanding of what Stagvision and, and Waikido and the Stag Rule is all about. Thanks so much for everybody who's listening. Thanks for everybody that's supported. Thanks for everybody that's getting getting in touch. This is awesome. Love bringing you the Stag Rule and hope this was another valuable, if not uncomfortable, episode. Cheers. <laughs>